welcome to our Net Group Investment Quarterly Briefing, where we profile some of the interesting takeouts from our recent fund manager workshop with our local best of breed managers. To hear the full fund manager presentations or for more information about our funds, visit the Net Group Investments website or access more of our content via LinkedIn, YouTube, or podcast channel. We start this episode with a recap of how markets performed in the second quarter. We then examine the outlook of inflation and interest rates. We explore two assets that act as hedges against rising inflation and economic uncertainty. We then talk about some of the opportunities coming out of China. Additionally, we analyze the growing momentum of BRICS and its implications for global currencies. We finish off with the broad market outlook for the rest of the year. The second quarter of 2023 continued to surprise on the upside, especially global markets. Rashad Tayeb summarizes how markets fed in the second quarter. In the second quarter, global equities continued to perform as they were then boosted by a lot of talk about artificial intelligence. And you've seen the tech sector and the Magnificent Seven perform quite strongly. EMs like Brazil and India with strong narratives behind them have performed. But South Africa, because of the volatility in our markets and our political and economic issues, we had quite a weak quarter and we lagged, especially on the bond market, which was quite volatile and had a poor return. China has had recent stimulus come through in the last week and has rebounded. But for last quarter, it was quite a negative sentiment with uh, the slowing economy and that had a negative impact on the commodity market. Gold has been dawdling along as consolidated, hasn't really delivered. But with the weaker rand, uh, you have seen some performance from offshore assets as, as, as well as gold. Rafael Ngomo takes us through his inflation and interest rate outlook for both South Africa and the United States. We believe that in South Africa, there's still going to be a big drop in inflation uh, next month when the July number gets reported. And that will probably bring inflation in South Africa to around 4.5%, which will be the bottom of inflation. Now, going forward, if you look at the subsequent numbers on the uh, month-on-month print, in August last year, it was 0.2. In September last year, it was 0.1, and so on and so forth. And those numbers are easy to beat. So if we get to about 4.5 in inflation, we think that this is likely to be the bottom in inflation, at least in the short term, and that inflation is likely to drift slightly upward from those levels. And will that provide comfort to the Reserve Bank in South Africa to cut interest rate? We probably think not. They're probably going to maintain interest rate at this elevated level for some time. If you look at the picture in the U.S., we think that uh, inflation is bottom in the U.S., around 3%. If you look at the uh, month-on-month reported inflation for July last year in the U.S. was zero. In September was 0.2. And then you had a couple of 0.4, 0.5, and 0.2. So this also indicates that inflation is probably bottom in the U.S. and that from this level, inflation will rise moderately going into, into next year. Again, if inflation starts to rise and core inflation remains sticky, and then the U.S. economy it remains very strong and printing 200 to 250,000 jobs a month, it's not an environment where the Federal Reserve Bank will rush to cut interest rate. And as such, our view is that inflation, yes, has come down, uh, but mostly headline inflation. Core inflation remains sticky, and that's the, the key determinant to uh, cutting interest rate will be about the strength of the U.S. economy. Uh, as we see right now, there are very little sign that the U.S. economy is, is weak, uh, but 
like we showed earlier, there are definite signs that there is a recession uh, and then we're pricing in a recession sometime next year. If that is the case, a recession will resolve all of the inflation problem and eventually interest rate will, will come down. As global debt rises, it escalates systematic risks affecting the global economy and financial markets. Rashad Tayeb identifies two asset classes that can mitigate risks within a multi-asset portfolio. Given these high levels of debt, both in South Africa and globally, we do think that there are structural risks going forward. Yes, inflation is falling on a cyclical basis, but when you have high debt levels, the possibility, there remains that possibility that you have to run with higher inflation in order to inflate away some of that debt. So that's something we are very aware of. You're still seeing a recession being priced into the yield curve. The yield curve is the most inverted in, in 40 years. And even though investors are now getting a bit complacent about the possibility of a soft landing, we do think that the recession is a serious possibility. And we do think it makes sense to take some risk off the table, given the rally that we've seen over the course of the year. And there is continued risk of a credit crunch. Yes, the, the worst case scenarios were avoided, especially in the US with the regional banking crisis. But with these types of higher yields and very low risk premium, uh, we do think that there are downside risks. And we do think that you need to have a balanced approach to give you stable returns. So what looks attractive in this environment, an asset class we are looking very closely at and starting to participate more in is inflation-linked bonds. What I've got here is a, a chart of the, the South African 10-year real yield. And you can see that this has moved up close to 5%. What this means is if you have a real yield of 5% and inflation is at the lower end of our expectations at 5, 5 plus 5 gives you a total return of 10%, which we think is quite competitive uh, in terms of money market, in terms of bond, and in, even in terms of equities. And then if inflation surprises on the higher end of expectations and, and, and needs to be run structurally higher, you've got full inflation protection and your that component of the portfolio will increase as inflation comes through. So if inflation is running at 10%, your total return will be 10 plus 5, that's 15%. So we think this is very attractive. The yields have moved up and we're incorporating more and more of these in the stable fund going forward. The other asset class which may protect you in a debt type of crisis is gold, which has been hovering around the 2000 level since 2020. It obviously hasn't performed as significantly, but I think you have to see this in the context of how dramatically rates have increased. In the context of US rates moving from zero to 5% in a short space of time, the fact that gold has maintained a level of close to 2000, I think shows its relative strength. And if you do see a forced relaxation, if you do see a, re a recession, which forces easier monetary policy down the line, I think gold is set to perform very well in the years ahead. With South Africa facing challenges like load shading, failing infrastructure and its alignment with Russia, Dwayne Dupiner, portfolio manager of an SA equity fund, discusses how his fund is positioned. When examining the, the positioning of the portfolio right now, we have decent exposure to the global consumer. That's really through NASPERS process, so a large position there. Process still at over a 35% discount. We're still very constructive on its underlying investment in Tencent in China. A decent position in British American tobacco on an 8% sterling or pound yield. We think this is, the stock is well supported from a dividend yield perspective. 
In the South African financial space, we've increased our exposure to South African banks. A bank like APSA trading on a 6-4 P 9% dividend yield. And we think the balance sheet is very strong and well provided for, looks very attractive. In the SA Inc. space, yeah, we've been a little more selective because of the problems around load shedding affecting many companies. And we've invested in a retailer, the Fashini Group. It's trading on a 9 PE, so attractive from a valuation perspective. Plus about 35% of its earnings come from offshore, Australia and the UK. We don't think the market's pricing that in. And they've installed batteries across most of their stores, which makes them very resilient from a load shedding perspective. And then we have select resource exposures. We have decent exposure to diversified miners. And we think these will benefit from the announcements of further stimulus out of China. We've just seen the positive reaction to the Politburo meeting that's happened recently. And then decent exposure to platinum group metals, where we think the supply-demand dynamic looks very attractive, with most of the metals in deficit in 2023. Saul Miller expresses his growing concerns regarding the U.S. equity markets. The other concern around U.S. equity markets is the valuation side. And here what we have are the expected returns, the expected real returns of the U.S. market going back about 30 years. And what you can see here is that they're certainly of the, on the low side of where they've been historically. So over the last 30 years, there's been an expected return factored into markets of about 4.5%. It's currently sitting at a little bit below 3%. So quite expensive. Furthermore, if you compare that to what you are getting in terms of real returns from US bonds, which are at about one and a half percent, that means all you are getting is an extra one and a half above those US bond levels, which is fairly paltry as an as a equity risk premium. You would expect to get a bit of a higher return from a riskier asset class like stocks. One of the questions we often get asked is, isn't this expensive or this high valuation in the US market being driven by a small group of mega tech shares? So what we've done is we actually look at the valuation for the median US shares. So we're stripping out that impact of some of the large expensive tech shares. And if you look here, what you'll notice is on that basis, the market is also expensive. It's not as expensive, but it's still expensive and certainly expensive relative to history. So the overvaluation that we see in the US market is fairly broad-based. Yes, it is more stretched on some of the large caps, but it certainly is fairly broad-based, which leads us to be quite concerned about the US market and why we have quite um, an underweight exposure here. Omri Thomas takes us through some of the exciting opportunities he sees in China. Yeah, so I think there were a lot of concerns about uh, Chinese uh, companies and Chinese tech companies specifically as the regulator clamped down a bit on the, on the tech industry. And you saw valuations really get, getting compressed there. I mean, you, some of the companies on an enterprise value basis were down 80-90%. So we started finding uh, opportunities where the cash on the balance sheet were actually higher than the market cap of, of these companies. And those were, I mean, Auto Home, Momo, uh, Allo Group, uh, Tencent Music, and we we bought it at attractive levels. Those shares have done exceptionally well, but they're still very cheap. I mean, on an EV2 EBITDA basis of less than one times, slightly higher than uh, market cap, slightly higher than just the cash on the balance sheet. So we we retain our eye waiting to that. And you've also seen a regulator pairing back on the industry uh, and trying to be a bit more market friendly. So. Yeah, it almost seems like it goes in these ebbs and flows. The, the regulator the push and then he sees how far he can push it and then, and then he uh, pulls back. As the BRICS summit approaches, anticipation builds regarding the possibility of these nations having their own currency 
Rasha Teb shares his insights on this matter. What I think is very interesting is the development of the BRICS, whereby it's it's moved on from just uh, an acronym with. Uh, it was actually the Brazil, Russia, India, China. We joined later on in 2010. And it, it was a bit of a, a random collection where we just had conferences, but nothing really much, much really happened. But it's really taken hold, I think, given the geopolitical battles out there in terms of uh, America with Russia, America with China. And I think China's using the BRICS as a way to counteract American power. So, And there's definitely a, a lot of development in BRICS, which maybe a lot of us didn't necessarily expect. And you're seeing any we're from 12 to 40 countries now looking to actually join the BRICS, and it's and it's and it's proving to be quite a significant, um, uh, you know, uh, group of countries aligning against maybe the traditional Western powers. And around that, I suppose the next development is a potential for BRICS currency. And why I think that's happening now is I think you are seeing serious risk, risks to the dollar. There has been a big a lot of inflation, more than we've seen in 40 years. And you are seeing the politicization of the dollar with the U.S. sanctioning Russia, uh, confiscating $150 billion of the reserves, which is unprecedented. So I think there's a strong drive to move away from the dollar. And I think that might be enough to push us over in terms of trying to find an alternative to the dollar and whether that's a, a potential uh, basket of currencies or gold-backed BRICS currency. There seems to be a strong desire to finally make the, the attempt to, to look for an alternative. Omri Thomas provides us with his comprehensive market outlook for the remainder of the year and offers his insights on valuations across various asset classes. So just looking at the market outlook for the rest of the year, it looks like inflation is rolling over, but it is sticky and still above average. The synchronized global monetary tightening remains. The big question is at what point in time do we start seeing it, it rolling over and start, start seeing interest rates being cut? If you listen to market participants, they do expect the Fed to start rolling over in the next uh, six to nine months. And because of that, you're actually seeing a lot of negative dollar positioning as the investors position for interest rate cuts in the, in the US. I think what makes it difficult is still a tight US labor market and high consumer confidence. So difficult to start cutting rates when it still looks like the economy is doing extremely well. I think the Russia war over the next year is going to be a defining event. Is it going to escalate or is it going to end? And I think we we probably have that answer in the, in the next 12 months. And I think it's it's almost a barbell uh, effect on the markets. If, if it escalates, it can be very bad for markets. And or if it ends, that will be perceived very positively. So I think it's difficult to, to make a call and one just have, a have to have a balanced uh, low risk exposure to that part of the market. SA economy, as I said, very constrained. Uh, consumer load shedding continues to impact companies and, and the consumers and the psyche. Locally, we've got a high cash rate, so it, you get paid to, to hide. We do expect further rate hikes, which will further increase the yield that you're getting on the short end. We've seen some select value in, in some of our equities as foreigners have just divested from South Africa. And we still think uh, SA bonds continue to, to attract the uh, office decent value. And we think US valuations still look fairly high. So as I said, attractive SA bonds, emerging market equities, SA cash, global bonds have moved from expensive to, to fair. And we've actually started buying some uh, US government bonds uh, more on the shorter end of the, of the curve. Developed market equities, ex-US looks, looks decent. 
the rand probably looks fair at this level after the recent recovery from almost 20 rand to the dollar. SA equities, it's divergent, but we, we find value in, in some of them. And global cash have also moved to the fair bucket. And US equity and SA property we still see as uh, expensive. You can access more information about all the fund manager workshops at netgroupinvestments.co.za, YouTube, or through our podcast channels on all major platforms. This has been your Netgroup Investments quarterly briefing. Make sure to check back at the end of October for our next edition.